Notice with me Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's now look at John chapter 8 and verse 31. If you abide, or that also means remain or continue, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you continue in my word, you are truly, you really are my disciples. God has called us out of this dark world and chose us to shine brightly as faithful and fruitful disciples of Christ. He called you to be a disciple of Christ. So that means we today, we are not just churchgoers who claim Christianity as our religion. We are His disciples, or we are nothing at all. So our primary devotion is not to a denomination or a dogma, but to a person, Jesus Christ. Now, we cannot rightly claim to be Jesus' disciples if we do not really know Him. And if we are not really His disciples, then we are not really Christians. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Amen? So again, if we don't know Him, we're not His disciples, and if we're not His disciples, we're not Christians. It doesn't matter what church you belong to if you do not belong to Him. Your church affiliation does not give you any status in heaven. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Not if any man is in church, he's a new creature. Are you listening to me today? So to a disciple, to a disciple, Jesus is not only a friend to whom we turn to in the time of need, He is Lord whom we serve and obey. To a disciple, Jesus is not just a friend. He is that, but He's more than that. He's not just a friend that we turn to in the time of need. He is the Lord whom we serve and obey. You know this scripture, many of you. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as friend, and no, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So you understand, it's not enough to believe that Jesus died and rose again. Even the devil knows that happened. He must be Lord of your life. And if Jesus is not your Lord, He's also not your Savior. And if He's not your Savior, you are still in your sins. 
and destined for Hades. Are you out there today? And if we are Christ's disciples, he is our master. And so he has first place in our hearts. I think some people, maybe in, in the church world, they need to ask themselves, are you really a Christian? Maybe, maybe they're not. I'm not trying to undermine anybody's faith, but there are a lot of fake Christians out there. I'm sorry, but that's true. If we are Christ's disciples, then he is our master. That's what Lord means. And so he has first place in our hearts. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. That's why we don't believe in polygamy in this church. No, actually, a man may claim to have several masters, but he can only serve one. I said a man may claim to have several masters, but he can only serve. Jesus said serve, serve one. Actually, the Greek language says he can only be the slave of one. See, a slave is not just someone who works for his master. He is the property of his master. So if you are a disciple of Christ, you didn't just get a ticket to heaven. He bought you. I said he bought you. Now, some people don't get excited about that, but you, you ought to think about it. I take care of the things that belong to me. Now, some people don't, right? Some people, you know, if you loan them something, it comes back all scratched and dented, or it doesn't come back, right? But I don't know about you. I wonder about you, but I, but I know about me. I, I, you can ask my wife. I take care of the things that belong to me, Right? And Jesus takes care of the things that belong to him. He's not going to let you get all scratched and dented and stolen. He takes care of what belongs to him. Someone says, well, I don't want anybody, you know, owning me. If Jesus doesn't own you, the devil does. And he don't take care of the things that belong to him. Are you listening to me? Amen. Praise the Lord. The Greek word for master in Matthew 6, 24. Are you ready? The Greek word is dun da da dun da 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 kurios, and it's translated Lord in Romans 10.9. Same word. If Jesus is not really first, he's not really Lord. No man can have two lords. I said, if Jesus, real quiet today, if Jesus is not first, then he's not Lord. And if he's not Lord, you're not saved. And if we never keep his word, how can we call him Lord? He himself said that. Matthew 6, 24 goes on to say this, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And the word despise in this verse means to lightly esteem to not take seriously. So that means a disciple not only serves Jesus, he loves Jesus. See, you can't have two lords because you'll hate one, love the other. A disciple is the one whom Jesus is the Lord of, and if he's your Lord, that means you love him. 
So it's not a servile obedience, a slavish obedience, something done out of fear or obligation, like, well, we pray because he might strike us dead if we don't. You know, we, 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 give, we give tithes and offerings because if we don't, you know, he may wipe out our entire finances. That, that's fear. We are motivated by a passionate love that inspires submission. You can, you can say amen if you want to. It's all right. I'll give you, I now give you permission. Say amen if you want to. A disciple is motivated by an overwhelming desire to please Christ. So that means most Christians are motivated by an overwhelming desire to please themselves. That's not a disciple. That's not how disciples think. That's not how disciples should live. How can I please him? Right? So as I sometimes say, try this tomorrow. When you wake up or sometime in the morning, kneel by your bed, and instead of saying, Lord, I ask you to bless me, I ask you to help me, I ask you to provide for me, I ask you to give me favor, instead of saying that, tomorrow morning, kneel at your bed and say, Lord, is there anything I can do for you today? Man, that prayer will be answered, I promise you. That prayer will be answered. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Glory to God. In fact, notice another scripture, Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So again, if we love anyone, if we love anything more than Jesus, we're not really his disciples. Amen. That's true. And, and don't look at me forlorn. I didn't write the Bible. I'm helping you to, to understand the Bible. Praise the Lord. Think about this. The Christians in Ephesus were well taught the Word of God. They were well taught. You can read the book of Ephesus and you can, you can figure that out. The Bible tells us that the Apostle Paul stayed in Ephesus for more than two years and he daily taught the Word of God there. Then he left Timothy, his protege, you know, to, to pastor that church in his absence, the church he started. Later on, church history tells us that John the Apostle oversaw the church at Ephesus. So these people were not somewhere out on the fringe, you know, uh, you know, on the backwaters. These people, these people were really ministered to by people who knew God and knew the Word, right? Sounds like that would be the church I'd like to join, right? If you could go back in time, would you like to join the church at Laodicea? Oh, no, heavens no. Would you like to join the church, you know, at Galatia? You mean be circumcised? No, thank you. Would you like to, what church would you like to join? How about the church at Ephesus? Yes, yes, that's where I belong. Yet in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus had a message for the believers, for the church in Ephesus. He said, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. The Williams translation says this, you do not love me as you did at first. That's what every wife says to her husband. But notice Jesus said this to his church, you do not love me 
as you did at first. If we love Jesus less today than we did yesterday, something's wrong, right? And don't you know Jesus knows how much you love him? If he knew how much they loved him, he knows how much we love him. And you could sing, I love you, I love you, I love you, but, but he's not listening to your song, he's looking at our hearts. Amen. Praise the Lord. If we love Jesus less, it's probably because we love something else more. Some people, you know, it's their hobbies. Some, people, some men love fishing and hunting more than Jesus. Don't, don't get too excited, but it's true. So some people love, you know, cooking and decorating more than Jesus. Okay, I'll say amen. That's true. And, and a lot of people, of course, they're not here today. A lot of people love taka poisa money, the rupiah, much more than they love Jesus. Amen. If Jesus talks, they say, uh, you're going to have to say that again. I didn't hear you. If money talks, they walk, baby. <laughs> amen. Praise the Lord. In other words, if he's not number one, that means he, I'm sorry, in other words, he's not number one unless we love him the most. I know you came here, you're watching this message, so you must be thinking, he's talking about all those Sunday morning Christians. Well, maybe I am, but you know, if the shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> Amen. Now, again, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus went on to tell those people they need to repent. Think about that. He told them they need to repent, and he said, if you don't, I will remove your lampstand from its place. Now, there are some Christians who never drink. Never. They never take drugs. No. And they never live or act immorally. But they need to repent more than those who do all those things. Oh, it's real quiet today. I said it's real quiet today. I said there's some Christians. Of course, they're not here right now. But there are some. You know them. When you, tell, when you see them, tell them I told you. There are some Christians who never smoke. They never drink. They never do drugs. They never, you know, they're never immoral. But they need to repent. Old-fashioned, repent. In fact, they need to repent more than the people who do the drugs and drink the alcohol and live immorally. Why? Because they don't love Jesus like they used to. I mean, I don't believe in smoking. I don't smoke. Huh? But nowhere... In the Bible, do I read that Jesus said, if you don't quit smoking, I will remove your candlestick from its place. Hmm? But he says, if you don't start loving me the way you used to love me, your lampstand will be removed. Think about that. Think about that. Come on. Don't look at me like a Presbyterian. Think about that. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, it says that in the vision that John saw in Revelation, in Revelation 1.20, it tells us that those candlesticks or those lampstands 
represent or symbolize the churches that John was writing to. Well, a lampstand, you know, you might be thinking of it as like just a romantic decoration, but you know, first century AD, it's a source of light, right? Source of light. So if the lampstand is removed, it obviously no longer shines. It means there ceases to be revelation. We cannot gain insight and understanding into the things of God if our love for Jesus fades. Come on, if we don't love him the way we used to love him, the Bible stops being real to us. That's true. That's true. And I don't care. You think you need to go to seminary. You think you need to maybe learn Hebrew. You think you need to get another degree. No, no, no. You need to repent and make sure you love him with all your heart. That's what you need to do. And then the Bible says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. When that means he'll give you understanding. He'll teach you what you need to know. He'll give you insight. He'll give you the supernatural ability to comprehend the truth of God's word. And when your love fades, you open the Bible, and it's just words. It don't mean nothing to you. Amen. In the vision that John saw, Jesus was standing among these lampstands. So if the lampstand, if the candlestick is removed, that indicates that he would no longer be in their presence. His presence would no longer be manifested in that church. I'll rem- if you don't repent, I'll remove your candlestick. Listen to me, friends. There are churches throughout history And their candlestick has been removed. I said, their candlestick was removed a long time ago. There may still be an institution. There may still be a a denomination, an organization. There may still be a church building. They may still have services, but it's a museum. It's a relic from bygone days. The glory, Ichabod, the glory has departed from that place a long time ago. Why? They stopped loving him. Are you listening to me? And as I told you, the people in Ephesus, they were not novices and newbies. They knew the word well. And he warned them. Take it to heart. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. If our passion for Jesus begins to dissipate, so will his power in our lives. If you're looking for a word, here it is. Love him with all your heart. And here's the beauty of it. Here's the real beauty of it. He actually has furnished the love to begin with. We're actually loving him with the love that he poured into us. You know, it'd be one thing if he's asking you to do something, we just can't. No, he he actually gave us the ability. He poured his love into our hearts. So we just love him back. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. Amen. Praise the Lord. What's the problem? Well, the love is there, but there's, there's too many idols, distractions, 
and things that have captured our affections, and those need to be removed. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Please sit down. Praise the Lord. Now, you may be called to a certain profession or called to have a certain position in the community or in society, and that's fine. But your first calling is to be a disciple of Christ. You may be called to to the ministry, but your first calling is to be a disciple of Christ. You know, God may have called you to work in certain areas, to serve in certain areas, and that's all fine and wonderful, but the first calling is to be a disciple. Come on, there's some people who are trying to get into the ministry, and they're a lousy Christian. (laughs) Forget it. It's never going to happen. Your first priority is to be a disciple. Discipleship must be the top priority of our lives. If you are not the best nurse or the best engineer or the best businessman, I don't believe heaven will be overly concerned about that. But you should determine to be the best disciple. Let me say that again. You may not be the best in your career, whatever that is, right? You may not be the best doctor. You may not be the best teacher. You may not be, uh, you know, the best bus driver or, or whatever it is. And heaven can look the other way, but your priority should be to be the best disciple. In other words, if people say, he's not the best electrician in town, well, okay, But if they say, but he is the best Christian I've ever met, that says something. Nowhere did Jesus say, you love me with all your heart, but this I have against you. You're not the best electrician in town. They never said that. (laughs) Amen? Of course, being an excellent disciple of Christ will help you to be excellent in every area of your life. A disciple is more than, more than an enthusiastic fan. A disciple is a committed follower. Right? You know, there, there's a mentality some people have that being a Christian means you just go to church and, and cheer on the crowd. Yay! Go team! As a spectator. You're not a spectator. You're a participant. Get in the game right? A a disciple is not an enthusiastic fan. He's certainly much more than that. He is a committed follower. A disciple is an apprentice who is trained by living with his teacher. And the ultimate goal of every disciple is to become like his master. What's the goal? To be famous? Nope. Make lots of money? Nope. What's the goal? Be appreciated by everybody? Nope. What's the goal? To be like the master. And if being a disciple is our top priority, then that should be our top priority. I didn't say you can't make money and, you know, that's fine. God will bless you. God will help you. But, But you can't spend your every waking moment and all you think about is just money. 
I told you before, I had a friend of mine uh, in America, you know, and while I was talking with him, his cell phone rang and the ringtone on his phone was money, 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 money. And I thought that speaks volumes about some Christians I know. I mean, I don't care. I'm sure that was just a, a, a little thing, but I don't think that every thought should be consumed with just how can I make more money? It shouldn't be that when you see others in the church, you're trying to evaluate how much money they have. I wonder what his net worth is. It's not a person's net worth. It's his value in the sight of God. This is what he's worth. He's worth the blood of Jesus. Jesus died for that person. That's all you need to know. Amen. To become like the master. Not only to resemble Christ's character, but also to continue his work right? In other words, we're walking with him, not just taking a stroll, having a nice life. He's training you. For what? To continue his ministry in the earth. Are you listening to me today? The Greek word for disciple is mathetes. I believe it's pronounced that way. Mathetes. And it's actually where we get the English word mathematics. But it doesn't mean calculating numbers. Praise God, I'm, I, that's not my forte math. But it simply means to learn. So a disciple, we're called to be disciples. A disciple is a student, a student of Christ. So we could say it this way, in Antioch, the students of Christ Jesus his committed followers were first called Christians. Think about that. We're just so familiar with that word, it really doesn't mean anything to us. But Christian literally means of Christ. Like, uh, what do they call people from this town? They call them Demoporeans, right? You're from Demopore. You live in Demopore. You look like Demopore. You're a Demoporean. You're not a Kohiman, you're a Demoporean, right? You, we can just tell by, by looking at you, right? Well, they were called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. Others called them Christians. Why? Because they're like Christ. They, they, they look like him. That doesn't mean they all have beards and ride donkeys. The Pharisees had beards and rode donkeys. What it means is they had his character, they had his power, they had his nature, and they ministered in his name just like him. So others said they are just like Christ. Who were these people? Students of Christ. Did you ever read in the Old Testament? You know, Elijah, Elisha, and then we read about these other people, the sons of the prophets. Did you ever read that in the Old Testament, like in the book of, you know, First, Second Kings and things like that? The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, you know, shall we go and search for Elijah, you know? Or don't you know the Lord's going to take Elijah away from you today? Sons of the prophets doesn't mean the biological children of prophets. It means student prophets, disciples of the prophets those who were under training. Elisha was under training from Elijah. Gehazi was under training from Elisha. But, you know, he got his eyes on money and he lost his place. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So, a true disciple of Christ lives by the word of Christ. 
And there are three aspects of his word which we must have in our lives. In other words, to be a, a, a faithful and fruitful Christian, to be everything that God has called us to be in this life, there, are, there, must, be, there must be this relationship with you and God's word. We must listen and learn. We must act and apply. Then we must share and spread. Listen and learn, act and apply, act on the Word of God and apply the Word of God, then share it and spread it with others. Listen and learn, act and apply, share it and spread it. In other words, we receive His Word, we rely on His Word, and there's a third step, we relay His Word to others. We receive it, we rely on it, we relay it to others. We hear it, we do it, and we tell it. I mean, that's, that's the whole sermon right there. What, what, what is our relationship to the Word of Christ? We hear it, we do it, and then we tell it to others. Praise the Lord. Let's go a little bit further. Maybe this will help somebody out there. In Acts, uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, it says, And she had a sister named Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. Sitting, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, obviously, when you, when you read that, you just simply think of Mary sitting on the floor, and there's Jesus teaching, right? But there's something else. The expression, to sit at the feet of, means to become a disciple of. The expression in the Bible, he sat at the feet of so-and-so, that means he was that person's disciple. For example, the Apostle Paul shared his testimony in Jerusalem when he was arrested by the mob. He shared his testimony in Jerusalem, and he told the people that he was born in Tarsus. In Cilicia. In other words, he was born, you know, kind of like in modern day Turkey or, you know, north of, of, of Syria, that, that part of the world. And then he said this statement, but he said he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Well, what does Gamaliel's feet have to do with his education? <laughs> it's an expression. Gamaliel was a well respected rabbi in Jerusalem. In the first century A.D., they didn't have classrooms like we think about today. That was, that was very rare. But a teacher would stand or maybe sit, and his students would sit on the floor before him and just listen to the Word of God. It indicates that Paul is really telling those folks that I'm not some strange person that came from nowhere I am a disciple. As a Jew, I was a disciple first of this man, Gamaliel. And what he really means is, and now I'm a disciple of Christ, the Son of God. Praise the Lord. So here's the point. While Martha was busy cooking for Jesus, which is a commendable thing, don't misunderstand me, Mary was learning from Jesus. If you want something to write down, if you're looking for a pull quote today, here it is. What you receive from the Lord is more important than what you give to the Lord. 
what you receive from the Lord is more important, more important to God than what you give to the Lord. See, some Christians don't want to sit and listen to his word. So they busy themselves with other things, maybe legitimate things, but like Martha, in reality, they're just distracted. I've had church members invite me to have lunch at their house immediately after the church service. And invariably, or maybe I should say oftentimes, on that serve, in that service, the person that invited me did not attend the service. Why? Because they're at home cooking. Well, here's the thing. If I came to your house for lunch and then I didn't eat your food, you'd be disappointed, wouldn't you? Wouldn't all of you women, if you invited me to your house, and, well, how about if you invited me and I didn't even come? You'd probably be disappointed. But if I came and I didn't eat the food you had prepared, you'd probably be disappointed in me, like he didn't touch anything we prepared. I prepare a meal for the people God has entrusted to me every week. And when they don't eat the food that I prepared for them, I feel just like you. I mean, I know with COVID and all that kind of stuff, there's, you know, bearers, but you understand what I'm saying in general. Hallelujah. A real disciple is one who listens and learns. Imagine a student who never sits in the classroom. From the first bell to the closing bell, he's washing the windows. He's trimming the bushes. He's repairing the school bus. Helpful? Hmm, maybe. A student? No. Nah. And he will fail his exams because a student listens and learns. God called us to be disciples, not chokidars. Don't misunderstand me. I, I, I don't mean to be unkind. God wants us to have good works. And by the way, while I'm on the subject, I deeply appreciate, don't, don't try to skew what I'm saying. I deeply appreciate those who are serving in this church. I appreciate our grounds crew. I appreciate the church Jokidar. In fact, they're the most faithful people we got around here. You know, they're busy. They, this church, they keep it clean. You know, they, they restained Brother Rana and the, and, the, and the grounds crew. They restained all these doors. I mean, that was hard work. And I deeply appreciate all the fine work they're doing. They do a great job keeping this place clean. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say is you can't try to make yourself real busy. And that's an excuse for not hearing the word. Amen. So in other words, sitting comes before serving. And if, I mean, sitting at the master's feet, figuratively speaking, hearing, receiving the word, that comes before doing anything. If you're not willing to sit, there is no place for you to serve. Amen. I, I got a little bit more to tell you. Praise the Lord. A disciple, listen very carefully, a disciple not only has a teacher, in this case, it's Jesus Christ, by his spirit. A disciple not only has a teacher, but he himself is teachable. He himself is teachable. So here's the question. Are you teachable? 
before you nod vigorously, you can just think about it. Are you teachable? You know, uh, an inanimate object is not teachable. I'm not teaching the carpet today. I'm not teaching the marble steps because they could never learn anything. A brick wall is not teachable because the sound of my voice just bounces off the brick wall and echoes and reverberates in the room. But a teachable person, a teachable person absorbs what he hears. He internalizes it. He reflects upon it. He digests the word he hears, and he incorporates it into his life. Let me say that again. He absorbs it, internalizes it, reflects upon it, digests it, incorporates it into his life. In other words, he thinks about what he hears. Jesus said, consider carefully what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure that comes back to you. Amen? Are you teachable? If you're not teachable, you'll never be a good disciple of Christ. A teachable person knows the value of learning. He realizes that by growing in knowledge, he can increase his understanding and live a, pro- a more productive life. By increasing his knowledge, he can increase his productivity his effectiveness. And that's true naturally. We all know that's true naturally, right? But it's also true spiritually. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let me give you a scripture. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, easy to read version says, students are not better than their teacher, but when they have been fully taught, they will be like their teacher. Well, who's the teacher? It's Jesus. Who's the master? It's Jesus. So why do we have so many Christians who are unchristlike? They have not been fully taught. They have not been perfectly trained. It is unlikely that any of us will ever be fully taught in this life, but we can move toward it. Even the apostle Paul said, I've not yet arrived. But he said, but I'm on the way. I'm moving in that direction. We can't be more like Christ if we are unwilling to hear more of his word. Are you listening to me? A teachable person acknowledges that he needs to learn. I think all of us freely admit that we don't know everything. I think everybody in this room, if they were were honest, they would acknowledge that they don't know everything. But many of us seemingly think, but I know enough. And that's not true. I said, that's not true. You know enough to be where you are now. You don't know enough to take the next step. Because if you did, you'd already be there. So you, if you want to be promoted in school, you have to be teachable. I mean, duh. If you want to be promoted in God's kingdom, you must be teachable. That means you must acknowledge that you need to learn. A teachable person knows enough 
to know that he does not know enough. He needs more. In other words, it takes humility to say, I need to know more. I need to learn more. Some Christians, that's anathema. If you suggest they need to learn more, they bristle. They get, they get deeply offended. You know, don't talk to me about faith. I know all about faith. Don't talk to me about the whole, hey, I was saved when you were still in diapers. And you know, they get all upset about it. That means they've lost their humility. If they've lost their humility, then they won't have the grace to be taught by God because God gives grace to the humble. Amen? For the teachable person, every day is a learning opportunity. Every new day is a learning opportunity. I believe, now we're, we're talking about the kingdom of God. I believe that you can learn something about the Lord. You can learn something about the kingdom of God every day. I mean, you know, I'm not suggesting that maybe every day you're just suddenly going to learn something, you know, you know, a thousand times more. I mean, I guess that could happen. But incrementally, God can add to you every day. When was the last time you learned something for the first time? If we are not learning more, we are stagnating more. We're stuck. So maybe we need to say, maybe I'm not as teachable as I thought. Maybe there needs to be a greater humility because there's more that I need to know. And of course, baby Christians don't have a problem with this. It's those Christians who are pillars in the church that have the real problem because they're comparing themselves to the baby Christians. But God's not comparing you to anybody else. He's comparing you to Christ. He's comparing you to your potential. Amen. Don't look so sad. This, I'm just trying to encourage you. Maybe this is discouraging you. I don't know, but I'm trying to fire you up. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. A teachable person not only hears, he processes. He not only hears the words, you know, bouncing off his eardrum, but he processes it. He's thinking about it. He's endeavoring to understand it. He's thinking, now, how does that apply to me? What does that really mean? And I've given this example many times. You'll forgive me for repeating myself, but here goes. Years ago, oh, 30 plus years ago, uh, I got some free flying lessons, how to fly a single-engine aircraft, little airplane, you know, little, little Cessna airplane. And it actually was a gift from my mother to my father. He didn't take the lessons, so she gave it to me. So I'm so excited. Uh, I'm going to go to the little airport near my hometown, and I'm going to take flying lessons, okay? So in my mind, I'm imagining what's going to happen. And I thought to myself, well, I'll meet an instructor. Maybe he'll give me a tour of the place. Here's a book to read, you know, maybe give, tell me the benefits of flying, and then I'll go home. It's only like an hour lesson. So when I got there, he gives me a tour of the place, tells me the benefits of flying, recommends a book, and I thought, okay, fine. And then he says to me, now follow me. That's like what Jesus said, now follow me. And so he takes me on the runway uh, area, and there's an airplane. And so he's showing me the airplane, and I thought, oh, okay. Then he says, now get in the airplane. Well, actually, before, before he said that, he begins to explain to me 
the four factors, the four forces of flight. And that is like gravity and lift and drag and thrust, you know, and, and that type of thing, rudder, aileron, yoke, and all that stuff. And you know what? I had read an article in the encyclopedia about that. So I just nodded my head smugly. Yeah, I know that. Uh, yeah, I know. And I just kind of, I just, I wasn't processing anything. I'm just like, yep, 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 yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I go home, I'll read the book again. Oh, yep, 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 yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, I know that. I always hate it when people say, I know that. Oh, right. Sure you do. And anyway, so then he says, let's get in the airplane. And I thought, oh, okay. I guess we're going to sit in the airplane. Then he starts the airplane. And I thought, Okay, are, are we starting this? Are we doing something here? Then he taxis. And I thought, are we going somewhere? And then he takes off, lift off. And we're, we're in the air now. And it's a little teeny, little teeny airplane. I mean, every gust of wind just, just got, got hit by a, you know, by a tata. You know, it doesn't feel secure. It's not like, you know, going up in, a, in an Airbus or something. This, you know, you feel like you're hanging naked from a hang glider or a kite in a cyclone. It's very insecure. And then... We're, we're just, a, you know, less than 100 feet off the ground. He says to me, you have the plane. And my brain just shut down. My brain decided, I, did, just, I didn't hear that. It's just like some of you do. I just pretend like I didn't hear that, you know. And, and he says to me a little more gruffly, you have the plane. And I thought, you know, suddenly I, I don't speak English anymore, you know, and then he said, then he barked at me, you had the blade, put your hands on the yoke. So I'm putting my hands on the, on the, on the, basically the steering wheel, you know, and the thing is shaking everything. And I'm trying not to pee on myself and I'm just shaking everywhere. And I thought to myself, why didn't I listen to what he said earlier? Why didn't I listen to what he said? We're all going to die. It's my fault. <laughs> and that's exactly like so many people that we know and love. You tell them what the word of God says and they smugly say, I know that. I know that. I know that. Oh, yes, I, heard, I read that book too. I know that. But then, you know, in real life, they freeze. The doctor says you have COVID. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) die! Right? Because they're not really listening. They're not really processing what they hear. Amen. Many of us, we went to school. We learned many things. One thing we didn't learn. We never learned how to learn. We went to this school factory where they just, they all, all little students march in one door and they march out the next door with their certificates. And what did we do? We memorized. We memorized stuff, information, so that we could regurgitate it on an exam paper. A day later, we completely forgot what we memorized because it didn't matter. All we wanted was a grade. We didn't want to learn anything. We just wanted the grade. So now we come to church. Same process. We've memorized Bible verses. We can quote John 3 16. For God's love, he gave himself because he would leave them not perish, not perish, not perish. What does that mean? I have no idea. <laughs> 
God is not impressed by how many scripture verses you can spit out of your mouth. He's not impressed by you getting 100% you know, on, on, on some Bible test. He wants you to win the test of life. That means you have to listen so that you can learn. Hallelujah. Amen. I got to go. I got to finish this. I'm starting to, I'm learning from you. All right, listen. A teachable person not only wants to know what, he wants to know why. So in other words, a teachable person has a certain healthy level of curiosity. A teachable person has a, a healthy measure of curiosity. So when you read the Bible, are you just reading it like uh, to, to learn what? Are you probing to understand why? Say, so I can read what Paul wrote, and you can too, and so can a million other people. But I really want to know is, why did you say that? Oh, real simple. The Bible says in uh, John chapter 3, verse 1, Nicodemus, he's one of the Pharisees, one of the rulers in Israel, he came to Jesus at night. Why? Well, he wanted to meet Jesus. No, no, why did he come at night? If you were going to meet Jesus, would you go at night? No, we have curfew. What, would you go at night? Is it because he was working and that's when he finished his dinner and then he has time to meet? No, 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 no. He doesn't want anybody to see him. He doesn't want any, they don't have streetlights. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's meeting Jesus. Why? Because he's a member of the Sanhedrin and they have already decided that they're against Jesus. In fact, they're plotting to kill him. But in his heart, he knows this is not just some lunatic. This is not some fanatic. This is not just some guy who's off. This is the son of God. This is God. This, this whole thing, this is of God. So he went at night. You put himself, you put yourself in his shoes. Why? Are you out there today? Praise the Lord. I'm almost done. Really? A teachable person has a thirst for knowledge. Again, the point is we're called to be disciples. A disciple is a student. A student must be teachable if he's going to be a good student. So we must have a thirst for knowledge. So that means we can't have a lackadaisical attitude toward God's Word. Like, like oh, yeah. <laughs> Just like we don't really care. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says this. 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn infants... Long for the pure spiritual milk. Some translations say the milk of the word. That by it you may grow up in your salvation. Like a newborn infant, desire, long for the milk of God's word so that you can grow. Well, folks, little infants, they don't say to their mothers, Mother, I'm feeling a bit dry. May I have a little something to wet my whistle? They go, ah! they just They just let you know in unmistakable terms, this is not satisfactory. Something's wrong here. And you can try patting them on the back. You can, you can, you can, you can dance around the, the, the bedroom, you know, 
but they don't accept a substitute. Right? And they, they want milk. I'm not little infants, right? And it's not because they heard Pastor John preach a sermon about the importance of a, of a healthy diet or something like that. They come out of their womb, the mother's womb that way. And when you hold the bottle, whatever, they don't go like, now let me see. They go, and they grab hold, right? Amen? When a person is born again, he automatically has an inward hunger for the Word of God. A born-again child of God has a hunger for the Word. And if he doesn't get it, he begins to cry. Of course, he doesn't do it like little babies do it. He does it in some other way. But he can't have a substitute. You know, you can say, well, just uh, rake the leaves in the church compound or uh, 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 change all the fused light bulbs. No, no, no. He needs the milk of the Word of God. And if he doesn't get it, he won't grow. Are you out there today? I'll finish this way. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, I'm not sorry. Too bad. This is it. Hallelujah. A disciple's a student of Christ. When you got saved, you were enrolled in the school of the Spirit. God didn't ask your permission. He's your father. And just like your natural father, he just went ahead and did it. You are a student in the school of the Spirit. If most Christians in India, especially Nagaland, if they had the same attitude towards church as they have towards school, there would be spiritual giants in the land. How many parents allow their children to miss a day of school because they saw a raindrop? How many parents don't really care if their child arrives late for class? How many parents will only enroll their child in the school that is closest to the house? How many parents aren't willing to spend any money on school fees? If it's not free, I'm not interested. How many parents will actually spend extra money to bring a tuition teacher to the house after school? Hmm? How many parents will continually remind their child, did you do your homework? Did you do your homework? Did you do your homework? Why? Because they believe that's important. Okay, that's, that's wonderful. But when it comes to church, no. It's a different ballgame. Right? Well, we're not going today. Why? Well, we didn't sleep well last night. Uh, I saw a cloud in the sky about the size of a man's hand. I, I couldn't make it, you know. Uh, you know, we're going to show up, you know, like, uh, you know, 25 minutes. Maybe, maybe if we can kind of time it right just after the offering. I don't know. That's a good time for us. You know, try doing that to the airlines. Just show up in to go, you know, 25 minutes late. Oh, the flight left. What? <laughs> you didn't wait for me? No, we're not going to wait for you. <laughs> right? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If we had the same attitude toward spiritual things as we do toward just natural things like school, which I'm not saying is unimportant, 
But how much more important is this? Amen? Then we would be more like Christ. Hallelujah. When I, when I, was, a, when I was a little boy, you know, I was so excited the first day of school. I mean, I was just, just so pumped, you know. Got us. I had, we had to take our lunch. I had a little lunchbox and look, new books and all this stuff. And mom bought me pencils and pens, a little pen box. I'm so excited, you know, really thrilled. Three or four days later, she has to basically drag me out of bed and force me to go. And I'm looking for an excuse every day not to go. You know, if I felt a little sick or something, I would say, I can't go. I've got a pain right here. And she said, I'm going to give you another pain right here if you don't get up and get dressed. <laughs> and, and my mother was a nurse. I mean, before she married my dad, she was a nurse. And you'd think she'd be very sympathetic toward people who were sick or something. Nah, not at all. She'd seen people with their head blown off and, you know, arms cut off in automobile accidents. So she wasn't impressed with, I got a stomachache. That, that did not impress her. One morning, I'm sitting at the breakfast table, and I said, Mom, of course, I'm looking. I, I check my body, hoping I'll find something wrong. And I say, Mom, I can't go to school. She says, yes, you can. I said, I don't feel good. She said, that's fine. You'll feel better. Once you go, you'll feel better. She would say things like, I hope she's watching this. you feel better. And then one time, sitting at the breakfast table, I don't mean to upset your appetite tonight, but, but I, I vomited all over the, the table. And I said, look, Mom. I wasn't joking. Look what happened. I vomited. And she said, well, that's good. Now it's out of your system. So you're okay now. You can go. <laughs> One time I woke up and it, there was snow, like, like two and a half, maybe three feet of snow. It had snowed that night, which is like I would pray. I, every, every night I would, in the wintertime, I would get on my knees and I would plead with the Lord, please let it snow because then we don't have to go to school. They, they would have to close the schools. So I woke up and I saw it at the window and I saw three feet of snow and I was like, glory, hallelujah, glory. Of course, I didn't actually say that. I didn't know the Lord. And, um, and so my mom said, get dressed. And I said, mom, mom, look out the window. She said, doesn't matter, you're going to school. I said, they, they won't have school today. She said, there, you go to school. So I had to walk. It's not a sad story. Don't, don't, I, you can tell I'm still dealing with this. So I had to walk like, you know, a kilometer in the snow. And my mother put plastic bags over my feet. And plastic bags, I didn't have many mittens, plastic bags on my hands. And I walked through the snow. And there was no intelligent person out at that time, just me. I'm walking, trudging through the snow. And it's just, it's still blowing. And I grabbed hold of the doorknob to the school and the building was locked. Of course, there's no cars in the parking lot. There's no students. I'm the only idiot out there. So I traipsed back, made it all the way back home, and I said, the school's locked. And she said, okay, that's fine. At least you tried. <laughs> so, you know, every, every day, you know, and for every year, you know, you get real excited the new year, and then two days later you're fighting, you know, to, to not go. Why? What changed my attitude towards school so quickly? I'll tell you. It was boring. It was boring. Being a disciple of Christ is anything but boring. If you're bored with your Christian life, it's not because you're following him too closely. Some of you look like a photograph, like you could kill me. It, nothing, nowhere, in the gospel, nowhere in the gospels did Jesus' disciples complain, this is really dull. This is really dull. 
No, it was anything but dull. You know why? Because Jesus, the Master, taught them by precept and example. Not just precept only, but by precept and example. Some people will come to church when we have a lesson like tonight, but when we have a worship night or when we have a Holy Ghost meeting, uh, they kind of like, you know, they don't show up for that. That's part of school. You're skipping class. You need the demonstration. You got the instruction. Now you need the manifestation and the demonstration as well. Amen. We'll talk about this later. Let's all stand to our feet. Praise the Lord.